The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Brendan Jackman sits down with Command Sergeant Major Joseph Fancher and Carlos Sanchez. All right, good morning. I'm your host, Brendan Jackman, and today I have the honor of talking with Command Sergeant Major Joseph Fancher and Master Sergeant Carlos Sanchez. Command Sergeant Major Fancher has over 30 years active duty service. He is a Special Forces non-commissioned officer by trade and is the current Command Sergeant Major of the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center. Uh, welcome, gentlemen, today. Hey, Brendan. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. So, Command Sergeant Major, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? and then your military career, and what led you to your current position as Command Sergeant Major at JFK SWIC? Yeah, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I, uh, I, I, uh, I was born in a small town in upstate New York, and uh, then I decided to join the military. I've been doing it for about 32 years. Uh, was a little bit more, a little bit senior coming into Special Forces. Uh, served in some NCO positions up to platoon sergeant, uh, joined Special Forces, and I've been doing that for uh, for over 30 years now. Uh, currently stationed or, or serving the Special Warfare uh, Center in school. It's a center of excellence for all of special operations. So, Nice. And so what made you decide that you wanted to become a Special Forces soldier rather than any of the other branches um, while you were in? Well, I initially enlisted in the Army as a, uh, as a combat engineer, didn't really know what I was getting into, and uh, absolutely loved the job, uh, but was, uh, I think like a lot of, a lot of folks, um, uh, looking to challenge, my, challenge myself and uh, potentially doing something else. Uh, I remember going through a school, Pathfinder School, and they had a, uh, uh, a Green Beret in that course, and I think Green Berets make the best recruiters. and. Uh, uh, I was on orders to Range Regiment, but uh, I talked to the Sergeant Major and uh, asked if uh, he mind if I put in a packet to go to Special Forces Selection and Assessment. Nice. And so I guess the rest is history over 30 years over 30 in Special years. Forces. And you mentioned earlier that you have a retirement coming up? I do have a retirement coming up in August, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. well, congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. I myself am at 16 years, so I got extended here being at NPS. Um, but I have five years after that going forward, so I look for that day just as much as you. <laughs> um, so thank you for your service if I don't yeah, see you, you. Uh, when you get out. And so for those who are intimately familiar with the Special Warfare Center, right, that's the beginning where we start our special operations lives. Um, can you kind of talk about what that is for those who aren't familiar with like the Navy, the Marines, they don't go to the Special Warfare Center to start their military career. So to that audience, um, what is it that you guys do there? And then why is it that you guys are involved in programs in which we're going to talk about a little later rather than normal just HRC or somebody else looking out for these things? Yeah, we really have two functions in, uh, in what we call SWIC, the Special Warfare Center School, and that is uh, the Generation Force and uh, to teach all advanced courses. So in the Generation Force, I think that's our, our primary responsibility. Uh, that's where we take folks either off the street, Americans right off the street, and uh, we send them through a uh, basic training in AIT and then through Special Forces Assessment and Selection. 
Uh, we also take in-service folks that are already in the military. It could be in the Marines, could be in the Army, but they're already in the military, and uh, they're going to put in a packet and come through Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Uh, if they make it through that, we'll give them some uh, additional training. Uh, we'll give them a military occupation specialty, and uh, then they'll go through a culmination exercise, which uh, for our 18 series for our Special Forces folks is Robin Sage. But this process takes about a year, and uh, probably one of the most important things, if not the most important thing we do in SWIC, because if we get the people right up front, everything else works out. Yeah. No, and that makes a lot of sense. And and for for me and and those in civil affairs and psyops as well, Master Sergeant, you're you're a psyoper. Um, every time I hear about that, I'm going back to SWIC, right? Sure. It's either it's going to be great training, but hey, you know what? Uh, it might be hard. And and SWIC is not an easy academic place or easy training place, right? But that's where we're able to get at the output the soldiers that we have. And I, and I think that you guys do an amazing job there, right, in, in highlighting this um, in that aspect. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll find anybody in, in uh, Carlos, you can jump in here as well. Uh, I think the uh, one of our, the value proposition that we bring in our, in our soft is our people. Mm -hmm. And uh, the majority of that is our NCO core. And, uh, you know, whether it's our partners from around the world or general officers, uh, I, I think a lot of people are drawn to special forces because of our, the strength of our NCO Corps. Yeah, and the NCO Corps is really what we wanted to talk about today on today's podcast, right? So we wanted to highlight some exciting news for the Army Special Operations Non-Commissioned Officers on that NCO Corps that you're talking about, looking at an updated AR-621 dash one, which is a regulation on advanced schooling. So can you share uh, about this program and how it applies to the non-commissioned officers now um, and, and going forward? Yeah, and I'll give, I'll give you a little bit of history and uh, why we made this a, a main effort. Um, like I said uh, a little bit earlier, we have our, our folks uh, coming in right off the street uh, trying out for special forces, and uh, we have folks that are already in service. Well, 50% of our folks that are, that are coming in right off the street already have a bachelor's degree. The majority of uh, the folks in RSOF that have a STEM degree are our non-commissioned officers. So we're bringing in a lot of talent. Um, uh, they already have a lot of education. They're very physically fit, and uh, they're doing very well in the course. Um, to, to keep these folks at the 10-year mark, uh, they also happen to be the hardest uh, individuals to keep in the Army because they have a lot of options. They're very, they're very talented folks. Um, one of the reasons, besides serving, they initially joined to serve their country and do things uh, 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 in the military and to challenge themselves in special forces. Uh, but what we realized through surveys is uh, we're in other, in other means, we're losing a lot of these folks because they still want to uh, improve their situation and uh, continue their education. Um, and what we did not have was a, like we have for the officers, is we didn't have a pathway for NCOs other than using tuition assistance and uh, taking school um, on the weekends or at night. We didn't have a professional way of uh, 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 a continued uh, education plan or program for our non-commissioned officers. And uh, for me, you know, I'd, that was something I really wanted to tackle. Uh, being in special operations, there's a lot of deployments, there's a lot of stress on the families. Uh, it's kind of twofold. Uh, our folks deploy, 
and they deploy, they deploy often. They're, they're, you know, today we're deployed in over 70, 70 countries around the world. Um, and then they come back uh, after uh, spending a lot of time away from their family. And to be competitive in the military, they're going to have to get a college degree. Uh, they're going to have to improve their civilian education. Uh, and then s instead of spending time with their family or their kids, um, uh, they're having to take college on the weekends right. or they're studying for college at night or on the weekends when they should be spending that time with their family. So uh, we, we have a few options in, currently in the, uh, in the military besides tuition assistance, but uh, it, uh, a lot of those options end up separating families. So what we're trying to do is create a, what we've tried to do over the last two years is work with HRC and JSAO and Army University and a lot of these. Uh, we didn't do any of this on our own. Uh, we're trying to uh, work with these folks to create a, a pathway very similar to the officers that will be a predictable pathway where we don't separate families but create educational opportunities for our folks. Yeah, that is, that is amazing because there is a stark contrast historically, right, on officers and non-commissioned officers when it comes to college education. And then one of the things that we saw is with the um, advancement of like the 2008 and and the income of more NCOs, as you stated, they had more and more degrees as they, they came in, right? Sure. And so now that the Army got used to that, that's something that you want as an educated non-commissioned office, officer field because they do bring a lot of tactical and technical knowledge. And then having the education behind that really propels our force forward, right? And so my question would be, so why now, right? Um, why is now the time to do it? Because if you walk around NPS here, we have Marine enlisted, right? Sure. We have Navy enlisted. We have some TACPs and some Air Force enlisted guys, but you don't see any Army guys. So why is now the perfect timing? And what took so long, I guess, would be would be the second part of that question. I'll start this off, and then I'm going to let Carlos jump in, too. Yeah. Is, um, I had to educate myself on this entire process. What I didn't realize is, it wasn't e as easy as coming out to NPS and saying, would you like our non-commissioned officers? Because right. uh, everybody said, yes, hey, send them. Um, there's a, uh, there was coded billets. Uh, there's an army process. There's congressional processes on how to do this legally. Um, there was a, uh, there's certain monies, whether, um, whether it was SOCOM money or whether it's army money that was going to pay for education. And again, there's a, there's a process and uh, legality that's tied to some of this. Um, so, what we first had to do, and this is where I'm gonna let Carlos jump in, is is get some AERS coded billets assigned out there in the operational force. Uh, when somebody comes and gets a uh, a master's degree or, or an advanced education, they're involved in an advanced education program, there's gonna be an ADSO. So uh, hey, for every year of education, you're gonna commit to being assigned somewhere for, for three years. And uh, what we're trying to do is build this ADSO out where we could take our NCOs, give them a year of education, but then send them back to where we most need them, and that's in the operational force. And Carlos, I'll let you jump in. Yeah, yeah so Brendan, you asked why now. I think uh, the first thing is, uh, earlier you'd also mentioned uh, regulation, Army Regulation 621 Tech 1, and so 
That was updated in December of 2019 with verbiage that finally said enlisted service members in the Army could get fully funded graduate degrees. And so that was the regulation. That's what we had to have first. And what Sergeant Major just mentioned is the AERS, the Army Educational Requirement System billets. Those billets have to be in place. And they're in place for officers. And there were none for NCOs because there wasn't a regulation that even allowed us to send NCOs to get master's degrees. So um, we looked across the force and said, hey, how many of our NCO billets um, in, in RSOF do we think require a master's degree? And what we came up with was 91 for special forces, uh, 90 billets for PSYOP, 50 billets for civil affairs NCOs for a total of 231. That got sent up uh, to the Pentagon and was just approved in December of 2021. So we just got those approved within the past couple of months. And um, we've recently sent out, last month, we sent out um, the request for NCOs to apply for NPS in the fall of this year. So uh, why now? It's because only recently have everything fallen into place and been approved for us to uh, be able to send NCOs to NPS. And so um, the first ones will come through. And so you mentioned the current uh, MARSOC, AFSOC, uh, NCOs who are here. Um, Sergeant Major Fancher and I were out here at NPS in November. We sat down with a couple of uh, those NCOs, picked their brains, and uh, they're, they're uh, trailblazing for our RSOF NCOs who are going to be starting this fall. And so uh, also, like Sergeant Major said, once they graduate uh, NPS, um, they will go into one of those billets that is coded for a graduate degree. Um, and so, yeah, the, the right place at the right time. And, and also why now, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Sergeant Major Fancher will be retiring in August. And this <laughs> is uh, something that he wanted to get done. And uh, he brought me on board and said, hey, let's let's get this football as far down the field as possible. And then let's get it across the goal line, uh, you know, hopefully before he's out the door. And, and uh, we, we've done that here at MPS. And we're looking at some other educational institutions. But at MPS, we're going to see our first students uh, this fall. Yeah, that is that is amazing and one of the things that i read is you both have your masters right yes and so as you go up the ladder of the non-commissioned officers do you see it as now more necessary to have graduate level education right when you're trying to get those slots and then you said out of the 231 billets could you tell me a couple of those billets or tell the readers a couple of those billets that hey if you want to be the ncoic at an operation or strategic level or higher, you're going to need a master's or graduate degree. Is that what that looks like? Or are there specific examples that you could give? Yeah, so some of the billets are, uh, many of the billets are across the uh, groups, the, the Special Forces groups and 95th uh, Civil Affairs Brigade. Uh, we have a few at the first SFC. Um, we have some of the TSOCs. And so um, we let the force tell us, we went to all three tribes, uh, SF, SIOP, and C, and said, you tell us where you think these should go. And so we didn't dictate, uh, dictate that to them. Um, they came back and said, hey, we think these billets are key for that. Um, and then with regards to us both having a, a master's degree, um, I think it's been key. Um, you know, my last deployment, I was the J33 in CYC uh, at Sajid FOIR. Um, and so I was working with a seventh group uh, major, and uh, he was the CHOPS. And so if he wasn't there, I, in his place, would be answering directly to Jamie Girard uh, at the time. And uh, General Girard was, was amazing. And so um, we would um, have to, you know, answer requests that came down and questions that came down from the SecDef. And so to have to be in that position um, and to be able to 
be a critical thinker, to be able to think strategically, um, it's key. And so um, the officers, I found, they want to, as I'm, you know, uh, as we go up uh, in, in rank and we end up becoming the senior enlisted advisors in these different uh, units and organizations, um, they want to know that they can trust us to, to think critically, to think strategically, and um, to be able to answer these questions in their place. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think Kurt Donaldson, he's a, he's a good friend of mine, he, the uh, CSM of the uh, Ranger Regiment, and uh, uh, he, he said it pretty simply that combat's getting pretty complicated, and to be an advisor at the, uh, at the 06 or, or the general officer level, um, uh, education's important. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And so one of the trade-offs for officers is education versus being at the force, right? And sure. for the non-commissioned officer, um, it's even more than that because you guys are constantly, consistently training. So do you see any complications moving forward? We're taking an NCO out of the force for up to 18 months to get a master's degree and then putting him back in while his peers who didn't have the opportunity to get a master's, right, have now conducted training for that 18 months probably higher position from a team sergeant to, to an NCOIC of a, a specific section, or have more tactical experience because they were deployed, right, during that 18 months? I think a hey, great question. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of this comes down to uh, risk and resource. Um, uh, there's there, there's this other piece that we didn't talk about yet is um, we lose about 550 of our NCOs, active duty enlisted NCOs, every single year. Um, the majority of those 550 folks that we lose out of just special forces alone, uh, we're losing them to uh, uh, ETS or, or retirements. Um, so how do we replace them? Historically, our only course of action to replace them was to replace them up front in this, our special forces assessment and selection, bringing those folks into our organization. Uh, that's really hard to do. Um, we sent thousands just through our special forces assessment and selection, and uh, it's, it's very tough. We don't want to change any of those standards, um, but we've invested a bunch into our NCOs. Um, if, you just, if you were just to calculate how much money we've invested in them um, getting through getting through the qualification special forces assessment and selection the qualification course and they an SF soldier with uh, about 10 years in um, if they make it through the qualification course they will get their assignment bonus and they will get about two other bonuses uh, the majority of them will get two additional bonuses before they get to the 10-year mark that investment alone not counting all their training and all their other schools and deployments um, the Army will have invested over $900,000 in each one of those individuals. Um, losing 55 of those um, a year, which our goal is to train or send about 50 to 55 uh, to uh, master's programs, um, would be a huge benefit to our organization. Um, we have a hard time. If we were to save 55 on the back end, that would be way better than trying to create another 55 on the front end. And uh, the difference in uh, the difference to the 55 on the back end, just in those bonuses that we were talking about, we will have lost or spent uh, around 52, 53 million dollars. Um, where if we were to send those same individuals to get a master's degree, um, and we're looking at just a few out of every group and a couple out of our training centers, 
um, you know, the cost of that would be, you know, minuscule, you know, two to three million dollars. So. Yeah, I think um, what it's going to look like is, uh, you know, historically, I think there was um, some negative thought towards broadening assignments that would take you away from the force and out of your career path. And I think in the last few years, we've kind of seen, no, hey, those are key positions. Those are the positions that help people think critically. And so I think with these AERs coded billets, um, there's going to be some predictability. Hey, I know where I'm going after I get my master's degree. There's going to be stability for uh, the soldier and the soldier's family. Um, but then also those positions are going to be looked upon favorably. And um, those positions are uh, E7s, E8s, and E9s. So as you progress, you you have the opportunity to continue to progress into master's degree coded positions um, at the next rank uh, up to E9. And so, yeah, I don't think um, getting a master's degree, particularly at MPS, is going to be a disservice to the uh, NCO. I think, like I said, it's going to provide some predictability, um, some stability for the family, and then help them to maybe uh, map their career more precisely than it would uh, without having a master's degree. Yeah. It, it, oh, I'm sorry. But the other thing I just want to add to really is we're trying to create an incentive to stay in. It's a, uh, what we've seen, and we need to put some data to this. We're, we're hoping this, uh, uh, you know, uh, keeps more folks in service as well. Uh, we got to wait to see how this unfolds over the next couple of years and, and see what the data and see what we get back with the data. Uh, but we're trying, trying to create an incentive for folks that are trying to get an education and trying to better themselves, um, create, create an opportunity, and we're using the officer model to do that. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's pretty amazing what you guys are doing. And you talked about st stability in that family time, right? Sure. And so just for me, my team start was prior um, Tech P. And I was in prior enlisted guys. So together we had 14 deployments between the two of Absolutely. us before we went to Africa, right? And I came to NPS and he went over to uh, Syria, right? So that was his number nine. And so when, when thinking about him and thinking about that, this is, in my mind, going to like create this competitiveness because people need that time. And there's only going to be, like you said, 15 to 25 slots or 51 slots for all the NCOs and sure. soft to be able to throw their hand in this basket and be like, I want that. Absolutely. So what does that look like for you guys when you create this, right? How can you compete for these slots within their branch? And then how is there going to be a second iteration for the guys who didn't make it the first time? to come back and try again the year after that or the year after that? Like, what does that kind of look like? So for India for and MPS, the um, applicants will apply and they will get vetted through their groups, uh, whether it's SFSI or Civil Affairs, and then they'll come up to SWIC. Uh, we will take a look at those with a board and decide, you know, who's going to go to, who's going to attend uh, NDU at Fort Bragg and MPS here in Monterey. Um, one of the things we talked about is, uh, the area U idea where we will send them to get a master's degree at a university located near within one hour of driving uh, the SF group. Um, and so for that, um, we're going to be less restrictive on that and allow the groups to say, hey, you tell us who your top five performers every year that you want to send to get a master's degree. So for fifth group, you want to send five NCOs every year to Vanderbilt to get their master's degree. 
we're not going to dictate uh, that to the groups. The groups will let us know. They will have their own internal board to tell us these are our top five performers that we want to retain. We don't want them to get out at six to ten year mark because we see them going places and becoming eventually senior enlisted leaders um, at every echelon. So the groups would maintain that ability to tell us who they want to send. Yeah, what we create is a uh, uh, diversity uh, or diversified education uh, education opportunity. So uh, we, we just didn't want just NDU because uh, NDU doesn't work with everybody uh, for or for everybody. If you're at an operational group, you come to NDU. Um, for some folks, uh, they're going to come unaccompanied because their family wants to stay back. And we'll just say fifth group, for example, they want to stay back at Fort Campbell because their kids enrolled in school, uh, their wife has a job. Uh, so they end up coming to NDU, they get their uh, their master's through NDU, and then, but then they have to do three years at SWIC. Um, we, so we have NDU as an option, we have NPS as an option, and we have an area university option as well. And uh, again, this is where we had to work hard with uh, uh, Army University, JSAO, and, uh, and collaborate on uh, getting deans to work with deans from these other universities to allow space in these universities for our folks. Uh, we're not, if there's a GRE, GRE requirement for our folks to, uh, to pass to get into these universities for these degree programs, um, they're, they're, they're gonna have to do that. And, and uh, again, we have a lot of talent in NCOs and, and I think they're gonna be super successful. And on the back end, what we're hoping hoping to achieve is um, it's all about investing in people and their families. If you if you're from, we'll just use fifth group because we we talked about fifth group as an example. If you're fifth group and you go to, to Vanderbilt tier one universities, all these universities are what we would consider tier one universities. Uh, you go to you go to Vanderbilt um, when you get out after 20 or 30 years and uh, uh, you live in that state and you have a degree from Vanderbilt. Uh, you can probably move on and do other things. Um, uh, as a soldier, it, if, uh, if after 30 years somebody wants to hire me uh, on to do or talk about military things, uh, they're probably going to hire me on because of my 32 years of military experience um, and not because I have a master's degree from a particular area. But if you want to get outside of doing things military, maybe you want to go, go into business or, uh, or medicine, um, having this degree from this other tier one university uh, can make the difference getting a, get, getting a good job in that state. So, Yeah, no, I think that this is incredible, right? I'm a huge proponent for education. I've always been. Um, I was a company commander over in 82nd at one point in time and I always preach because being a prior enlisted guy, go get your education, go get your education, go get sure. your education, right? And seeing this come to fruition and the opportunities that it will give the non-commissioned officers, I think shows how much you guys are invested in this and how as a military especially in SOCOM we're invested in the operators that make uh, the pledge to be hey I want to be a special operator and and I want to do good for my country and this is us giving back to them and I think that's absolutely amazing and my only regret would be that um, I'm a prior non-commissioned officer guy, <laughs> yeah. right? 2006 roll around when I ETS'd out, sure. none of this was available right. for us, right? Because that was one of the pinnacles at that time was like, all right, 2006, if I don't make E9, right, then I'm probably going to be relegated to the company sure. for most of my career. And I wanted to have an impact just like a lot of NCOs do, yes. just outside of your specific organization. And I think this gives them 
an amazing opportunity to do that, right? Because the tactical and technical knowledge is there, and now that missing link of the academic knowledge and how to apply it to critical thinking just propels them much further than the opportunities were for us and even you guys when you guys were lower enlisted or sure. or young buck sergeants and NCOs. So I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, I appreciate all your guys' time. Hopefully you get to do some golf while we're <laughs> out here, but probably not at beautiful Monterey. Um, if there's anything else you guys would like to tell the audience, um, please do so. I uh, know. I, I uh, appreciate the opportunity, Brendan. Uh, and Sergeant Major, I thank you for the opportunity to come on the SWIFT and be a part of this uh, education initiative for NCOs. Um, this is something, as an NCO uh, who has a master's degree, this is uh, near and dear to my heart as well. So um, just excited to be on board um, and, and help this program along and excited for the opportunity to come and share this with uh, all who are going to listen to this podcast. Awesome. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for having us and, and allow us to uh, talk about this on the podcast. And again, the uh, uh, the military, I think, is, is a great opportunity. It makes a lot of people better. Uh, and there's nothing I can't think of more uh, satisfying or purposeful than uh, serving your nation and, uh, and working with partners around the world. But uh, uh, I, I take a, uh, I feel this huge sense of pride too, as a leader, to be able to give back to our folks that have given so much, uh, you know, to our folks and our families. So, and I think this is just another example of the of the military uh, helping out our families. So. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, enjoy the rest of Monterey. And until next time, have a good day. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at Trident Room Podcast Host at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash Trident Room.